everybody hates him for it. This is it. I have such sights to show you. Glad you've tuned in. It's Zach, and we're here, so you might want to turn off your TV, hide the remote, and cancel that suspicious cable package. Because tonight, we're staying in the 1980s and immersing ourselves in one of the nastiest body horror films to date. Some of the best practical special effects and makeup design we've covered thus far, and a movie that cleverly illustrated the potential consequences of our daily media consumption in a totally eccentric and new way. I'm just going to get to it. We're talking about David Cronenberg's 1983 movie, Videodrome, which is Ash's selection for this week, of course. But it was definitely a movie that we've been bouncing around doing for a while. And if you're in the Atlanta area, you know that one of our most popular rental shops, our blockbuster, our local place to get the videos that still exists, is called Videodrome. I think it's like the only one. That's the only one I use because it's the best one. You're a hipster. You definitely know about Videodrome. Yeah. And then you get up there and they're like, are you sure you're going to like this? You're like, don't bitch, don't fucking look don't at even, me like don't that. Don't even come at me with that. Don't even look at what I'm buying right now. Like, what a better time to cover Videodrome than in a world where channel selection often dictates political leanings or ideological tendencies at an increasingly alarming rate. So let's just jump in with our co-host before we get to the movie and see how they're doing. So, Ash, how are you this week? I'm doing pretty good. I have been watching Castle Rock. Oh, yeah. Watch the first three episodes. The Stephen King one? Yeah. If you're a Stephen King fan, you're going to, like, fucking skeet your pants. Yes. With excitement. I'm going to go home and watch that tonight. I keep forgetting. There's just, like, so many snippets of all of his work, like, throughout. And there's a lot of actors that have been in his past movies. It's so, kind of fun. It's really, it's really good so far. Are you just saying you like it because it's Stephen King, or is it actually a decent? No, I think it's good. I'm like, what the fuck is going on? Okay. And Skarsgård is like a creepy dude yeah. in this. Yeah, oh, it looks we, like it. Cutting you off. You're talking too much about something else. We don't need to talk. About. All right, all okay. right. Macias, how are you this week? I'm great. Um, I just found out what I'm going to be for Dragon Con. One of my outfits, at least, because my hair is so perfect. I think I'm going to be Ripley from Aliens too. Hell yes. I have the hair length right now for it. Get a flight suit and go for it? Mm Mm-hmm. Or, you know, like uh, just like a dirty shirt with some suspenders and carry around a toddler and a big gun. I really think you need to have Uh. like an alien head poking out of your shirt. She doesn't really have one. She out of her. Yes, she does. She has one in a dream come out of her, but I don't know if she has. That's t- no. Mm. That's, not a little, that's, that's a little specific, Ash. I think it'd be That's fun. a lot to worry about. Well, to cut both of you off, I have a question for you. Um, Ash, first, is there a channel when you were growing up talking about Videodrome and our dependency on TV that you really could not get your eyes off of? Or possibly a channel now that when you're over at your friend's house that has cable that you just kind of mysteriously guide yourself to every time? I really, really like the History Channel growing up. I'm not just saying that Nerd. they had all the they all they had the alien documentaries and like the pre-Columbus Spanish Inquisition. Oh, that's right. Stakes. You lived in a really religious household where you couldn't watch anything but what Disney movies. <laughs> no, the the computer had pornography. Okay. Yeah, but yeah, you know, History Channel, PBS, C-SPAN, okay. all the things a young you know white yeah. American needs to learn. Right. Macias, did you have a channel? Because Ash seems to be blanking on that. You know what? Bravo. Bravo. All of the garbage that's on Bravo, all that reality television, once I sit down in front of it, I just get sucked in. Yeah. That's what it's designed to do. It's addicting. You're like, whoa, yeah. these people are so crazy. I can't believe that these people exist in real life, and it makes you feel so much better about yourself. Yeah. I mean, what's better than feeling better about yourself? 
I feel like that about like Lifetime when I was a kid too. I I'm like, there's low budget. There's some weird shit on here. There's like somebody's having sex with somebody else's mom. I don't know. What? No, my experience with Lifetime was it was just a heartfelt story yeah. where the angel comes in and saves the day and everyone right. praises Jesus. At the that end. is incorrect. That is fake news. That might be uh, the Hallmark Channel you're thinking of. Yeah. Mm, or like that. Yeah, that religious channel. Mm. Well, either way. Let's make like a TV and flip the channel Whoa. over mm-hmm. to Ash for a synopsis of this movie. You guys like that little uh, that was, that was good. thematic transition? So a synopsis for this movie is really fucking difficult because it's a really hard movie to explain. So think of this as like a narrative behind a movie trailer. Possibly like a small snippet of novel. Yes. So just bear with me and, you know, try to wrap your head around it. Max Wren is the president of a small television station called Civic TV. It's not your ordinary broadcasting station, as most of the shows consist of porn and graphic violence. Constantly looking for the next best thing, Max's pirate tech Harlan stumbles upon a show called Videodrome. Hardcore torture and murder with zero plot. Max is hooked and wants to buy them out. Shortly thereafter, His sadomasochist girlfriend decides she wants to audition for the show. She does, but she never returns. That would piss me off if I was dating someone and they did that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's rude. I want to be on the snuff, the snuff film. She was really hot. Ooh yeah. Anyway, at this point, Max is trying to get to the bottom of everything, and with the help of one Professor Oblivion, he learns that the show is actual snuff. Like last week. Yeah. We're dealing with some actual snuff this week, too. Getting getting in with the snuff. He also learns that the transmissions of the channel actually alter a viewer's perception of reality, ultimately leaving them brain damaged and crazy. The whole point of Videodrome being a moral ideologic conspiracy designed to purge America of sleazy scumbags who enjoy watching dirty shows. Well, we'd all be dead. Yeah, I know. Yeah. We yeah. would have been dead in like the first... Five minutes. This, oh, yeah. This plot made me feel like when you're drunk and you're trying to tell someone something, but you can't use the correct words. I, yeah. I still really don't know how to describe this plot to people. You did a very good job summarizing yeah. it. It was really fucking hard. Yeah. It took me about an hour to sit down and like, all right, what the hell? How do I explain? And I think this is the kind of movie that you can't understand it all like one time. You have to watch it like if you give a shit enough, you have yeah. to watch it like multiple times. And definitely watch the commentaries to get like oh, inside sure. the director's head. It reminds me a little bit of the Jacob's Ladder, if you will. I, a, that's exactly yeah. what I was saying. Except I really like Jacob's Ladder. I know. It's like that whole distorted reality. Yeah. What's real, what's not real. Throughout what? the movie, you can't tell like, is this is this happening or yeah. is this a hallucination? That's the whole point of the movie is the viewer's perception, which is wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I know Cronenberg did that on purpose to not make it look, you know, in some movies you can tell that it's a hallucination, but he wanted to make it look real because when people actually hallucinate, you know, they think it's actually real life. Definitely. Uh, so the movie was released in 1983 and is considered a science fiction body horror film. So, Messiah Sack, how would you define the subgenre of body horror? Oh, man. Have you seen Honey Boo Boo show? Oh, man. Ooh, that looks like a body Ooh. horror to me. You know? Sick burn. Ooh, yeah. so TLC, that would have been a good show to get sucked yeah. into. Yeah. Definitely. Okay. I think body horror is anything where you're just taking the human body and doing something you shouldn't with it. Give me some human centipede, some tusk, some uh, yep. American werewolf in London almost. Because, I mean, mm-hmm. even that had some great transformation scenes. Mm-hmm. Maybe not body horror per se, but. You guys are like really well-educated horror people. Thanks. 
So basically, Preach. yeah, it's a graphic depiction of the destruction of the human body. And the idea really gets its start from American Gothic literature. So think like Mary Shelley's uh, Frankenstein. That's probably a pretty good like start for body yeah. horror, I feel like, because Frankenstein is essentially just a bunch of people put fucking together with stitches and reanimated. Yeah. So like the point is like the body is what's scary. That's what your fear is, like decomposing flesh. Or and, the modification of the, bar- the body itself. Right. So, like we were saying, movies like The Fly, Teeth, Reanimator, The Blob, Human Centipede, and you mentioned the one that really gets me is fucking Tusk. Oh yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, watching watching that movie, watching this man turn into a fucking walrus, like ruined me. What ruined it for me is that Kevin Smith did it, and like I I, I because he did Mall Rats and Clerks. Like I can't take anything he does actually seriously because well, you're not he's such supposed a funny to. dude. Yeah. Well, Tusk. even Cronenberg says like his films to him are all really funny. Like yeah, I'm sure Gacy thought it was really <laughs> fucking funny what he was doing too. It's like yeah. fuck. So anyways, yeah, keywords for body horror, taboo sexual acts, mutilation, contagion, transformation, disease. And for me, a prime example with Videodrome would be when Max shoots Barry Convex with his fleshy handgun and you watch his body break down with all these nasty tumors that ultimately like destroy his corpse. It was basically like watching cancer cells do whatever they do within the body, but on the outside. In a rapid rate. Yeah. I thought that was We're definitely going to cool. get into that scene when we go to topic special effect because that was a really, really good death scene. Before we do that, let's go ahead first into some David Cronenberg pie today. You guys ready for that? Mm-hmm. Sure. It's a little Give hairy. A has some flies in it. Maybe, you know, a nipple here and there um, because he's one of the best horror directors that we've covered that also has a really good non-horror resume as well. I appreciate that. To pique your interest, Cronenberg, who wrote and directed our movie Videodrome, is the most ultimate Canadian, having received and earned the Order of Canada, the Order of Ontario, and the Fellowship of the Royal Society of Canada. I'm not going to pretend to know what any of those mean, but... They sound important. If you look at his career, it's pretty obvious of why he was given all these Canadian awards. It's because he's directed over 21 large feature movies with movies that you've heard of, like The Fly, which we've covered before, the Stephen King book, The Dead Zone, Naked Lunch, Scanners, I know mm-hmm, you guys have watched. Mm-hmm. That's just to name a few. And he wrote the screenplay for most of his movies with making them really impressive as well. He also, throughout his career, with this movie, was masterful blowing the lines of reality and delusions and focusing in on media and technology's roles in our modern life. And while in college at Toronto, although he never got to take a class from Marshall McLuhan, this professor did teach at the college. And he's renowned for his media theories about the influence on society. And throughout the whole time of his uh, stay at this college, David wanted to take a class and regrets not actually being able to study under him. But it ended up making a very large impression on him, especially in this movie. And to give even a bigger connection was a Dr. Oblivion in this movie. Yeah, Professor Oblivion. The guy on the Skype screen. Right. Mm-hmm. That was based after this Marshall character. And if you look up Marshall's uh, reality theories or uh, media theories online, it's, he's a very large character that has a Wikipedia articles all about that kind of stuff. Media and technology, like in horror movies, really freaks me out. I don't know. I'm like, this is real. This is going to happen. It's going to be the end of us. Well, oh, a, I don't think so. It's all the know. Black Mirror shit. Yes. All of it's based around technology and horror. Black Mirror makes my stomach hurt. Social perception. Yeah. um, Social scores, ratings. Yeah. All creepy. I guess I'm just stupid because I'm like, it'll never happen. Well, 
in China, they're already doing social ratings for people. It's a new government what? thing. Oh, yeah, I heard about what? that. That's right. Yeah, you can get a negative social rating for things like littering a cigarette. You could get things from, like, a bit, you know, misdemeanor of being drunk. And Requesting a straw. Yeah. So I don't know about that, but there is ridiculous stuff like that that people Damn. just aren't rating you for. Well, we could talk about Cronenberg for this whole episode. Um, we would be not at a loss of information at all. But I want to do a quote from him to end his segment out. He said, I think of horror films as art, as films of confrontation, films that make you confront aspects of your own life that are difficult to face. Just because you're making a horror movie doesn't mean you can't make an artful film. True. Well said. I don't think that's for every single horror director because I think some oh, people, sure. like uh, let's say uh, Peter Jackson and yeah. uh, or zombie Brain strippers. Dead. Yeah, but I think there is a lot to say about you know, the psychological aspects of horror. Mm-hmm. Okay, so on to the cast. We've got a young hot James Woods mm-hmm. playing our lead man, Max Wren. And aside from his current day hysterical political rants, which we're not going to go through, Ugh. just look him up if you want. He's, he's I don't want to. No, you don't. He's a big, uh, big jerk right now. No, I like him yeah. as a person. I, I like, I mean, I like him in all of his roles. That sucks to hear. Well, he did a great job in this movie and uh, of just seeming sleazy and greasy, mm, at least yeah. to me. So maybe that's just who he is in general. <laughs> Um, it's noted that this movie had three different endings, and the ending they used where he shoots himself in the boat was actually James Wood's idea. He had a quote about that. He said, I loved working with David and so on, but at the time he offered me that movie, we only had 70 pages of the script, and we had to start before we even had the plot finished. I literally called David up and said, what do you think of this ending? And he said, I'm not crazy about it. And then Wood said... I've got some ideas, and he said, "Come on up, and we'll shoot some more." Oh yeah, there so was like one of the endings was like after he got in through the television, and it was like him and Deborah Harry like meeting up and like hugging and embracing. I'm like, I'm glad they did not end it yeah, like that. Not a happy ending. Nope. Yeah. Also, in the helmet scene where they're trying to, I believe, reprogram him, uh, Woods refused to put on the helmet, and they had to use a stump double because they, he thought it was going to get electrocuted from him. Time out. Do you know who the stump double was? No. Who? It was David Cronenberg. Really? Yes. So the person who did like this, the special effects, was like, "Dude, I promise, Rick it's Baker? fine." It was like one of the chicks that was working on oh, it. I okay. think. Um, but she like literally put the the head set on and stood in water and was like look i'm not getting electrocuted and he still was like nope not doing it interesting yeah yeah well you know it seemed like james wood might be a paranoid person in general Mm -hmm. um and uh, on to our next big actress in the movie. We aren't cover everybody, but the next person is Debbie Harry, <laughs> or her real name, Angela Trimble. I did not know that. She plays Nikki Brandy, not to give you guys like three names in a row. Nikki Brand. Nikki Brand. And she's the chick that had the cutting sex with them in the very beginning, had the radio show, and is inside Videodrome for most of this movie, and I believe kind of represents Videodrome. Yeah. So she was a famous rock star model even before she was in this movie and she was in a band called blondie which was huge at the time this movie was out fucking huge still on spotify if you want to check them out i unfortunately never heard of her before so i had to go listen to some are songs. you shitting me i knew the songs i didn't know like about blondie Ooh, she's an icon wow mm. i looked up pictures she's definitely she's a, uh, an icon yeah, yeah. Coupled that with her doing a great job in this movie, and I'm all in because even at 73 years old right now, she looks phenomenal. She's born in 1945. Damn good. Damn good. I mean, she was alive while the Japanese were surrendering after the nuclear blast. Jesus Christ. Oh, man. Maybe maybe the nuclear blast lent to her uh, perpetual youth because, yeah, like I said, she does not age very high at all. Um, I did read for this movie Blondie. 
who you can probably guess was famous for having blonde hair, right? Uh, famously dyed her hair for this role because she's a redhead in this movie, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But she has such a sultry nature to her. Mm. Oh my goodness! Like, I'm into it. Ooh, she did a really good job. Every um, bit of I love her. It. Even when she like burns her cigarette. tit with a cigarette, I was like, "Ooh, you naughty girl! I'm in love." I know. Oof, she's oh goddamn, she's on fire. So this movie was filmed all in Toronto. The cathode ray mission was a piano factory originally. Uh, one day while filming, uh, one of the crew members actually came in and informed everyone that the power lines were smoking due to all the TV sets that they had hooked up in there. Remember they had all those cubicles with like the homeless people sitting in there with the Is TVs? Like, supposed to be like a like a homeless shelter for people to... I don't... I didn't get that. He, like what... Um, whatever daughter oblivion i forget her first name bianca bianca what she was saying was that she was like trying to connect these people back into like the social mixing board or something Uh, like that that, okay and when i was listening to the commentary uh, david cronenberg was saying it's kind of like when we go and bring the internet to like these third world places to kind of like connect them with the world oh okay which is kind of crazy because damn because he was doing this commentary like years after when we had the internet right. I'm like wow this movie is just so ahead of its time but yeah it's another connection to uh, the oblivion family in this movie representing that uh, professor and just media theory in general which i think is interesting yeah yeah definitely so another location they filmed at was a greek restaurant and because they were filming in kind of the fall time daylight ended at 4 p.m so for the entire restaurant they had like put all these lights outside or put out the things over the windows to make it look like it was light. So they had people on the inside look totally normal, look like daylight, but they had people outside like mittens and parkas and everything trying to keep it you know, cool. well lit and everything. That sounds really expensive. Yeah. So actually, and the reason they were shooting in the fall for this is because the people that fund this movie. All the producers, all the, the shadowy characters in no, the No, it's the government. No, when you think, like, the people that fund movies, like, at least here in Georgia especially, like some of the doctors I work for, you fund, you help fund these movies because you get tax breaks for it. Yeah. And people are looking for tax breaks in the fall time, so that's why so they were really having to film. So really, they had a... Uh, what they had like a really limited time to actually right. film it because the end of the f- like fiscal year was like coming too. Yeah, makes sense. Oh, that's and stressful. Yeah, and when they started filming, uh, like Zach had said, so a lot of the script wasn't, wasn't written. Yet. Yeah, so they kind of had to like make it up as they go along. Damn. So the estimated budget was five point nine million dollars. Damn. But it only made one million one hundred ninety four thousand dollars its opening weekend. Oh god, in that the hurts. US. That sucks. And it only grossed about a little over $2 million. Oh, my God. Man, that's like the opposite we did last week. Last week, we had a budget of 100000 that went for like however many million. Right. This one's going down. This one flopped. I'd like to see what it is now. Oh, yeah, all I'm these sure. years. Yeah, with like all, you know, being on VHS. Yeah. Not VHS. I'm sure that's on Big Money Maker. Betamax? But yeah, Betamax. Yeah, <laughs> that's what it is. So does special effects have anything to do with why the budget was so high? Yeah, I mean, I think I can guarantee the special effects probably went into the final cost for everything. And we can't talk about this movie without mentioning the one and the only mastermind of all the special effects, which is Rick Baker. Um, And possibly the only special effects guy that could hold a light in his lifetime up to Tom Savini. And to give you a roll call of Mr. Baker, he largely popped his cherry as an assistant on The Exorcist. We remember we uh, mentioned mm-hmm. that. He won the first Best Makeup Award for his work on American Werewolf in London. Hey, that's right. He should have. That shit was awesome. Which we covered before. And if you don't remember and you don't have time to go back and listen, it's basically that transformation uh, that transformation scene was so crazy and took so long for them to do and was so lively and had air pumps everywhere. Yeah, no CGI. None. At all. 
and Rick actually ended up being kind of a fatherly figure to his crew. The average age of the special effects and makeup crew is 23. My goodness. Yeah. They work day and night, and they made some of the coolest special effects that I've ever seen and we've covered. God, they worked for a legend. Yeah, they did. Yeah, and starting with uh, the movie, they had a TV, if you watch it, that pulsated and breathed. Do you guys remember that part? Yes, mm-hmm. loved it. had veins on it, and they actually did this by using an old keyboard and hooking it up to air valves and air pipes and putting it into the TV so they had someone playing piano in a song, and it would rise different parts and uh, depress Whoa. different parts as it was going. That's neat. Next, they did really great work making the TV screen pop out. I don't know if you guys remember the scene where he looks like he's having sex with the television or he's mm-hmm. kissing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's bowing out. Basically, they made the TV airtight. I'm not somebody that knows much about TVs, but they used weather balloon material to put on the top of it. And they rear projected the image to where they could still show the image and they could still have the thing popping out and him touching it. I'm pretty sure they also use like a dental dam. I heard that same like uh, material was used. Yeah. Um, but all in all, just really innovative work. And like Macias was saying, it was on a very tight uh, time frame. So they had to do things really quickly. And a lot of scenes they wanted to do, they weren't able to do because the money wasn't there or the time wasn't there. Um, And we can go on, but I think this movie really reinforces the idea that practical, real special effects are so much better and gruesome than the CGI bullshit that we have to look at now. I think you're right. I do too. I mean... It just makes you appreciate them more too. And while I was watching the documentary, that point really shines through. When you watch one of the last characters gets killed, I think uh, Macias mentioned uh, it was Context. That Convex. dude, Very Convex. Convex. Mm-hmm. Um, he starts blowing up, and you know tumors everywhere. They had seven people underneath the stage, all with their hands in this dude's body or this fake dude's body. Just yeah. And where you see things moving is people just moving their hands. That's so. There's cool. pipes. There's levers. There's pulleys. Like th- that just looks so awesome Genius. and that's what i really think we've lost with some of these modern day effects especially in the late 90s and early 2000s when cgi definitely wasn't even there it yeah super shitty it was even trash even now it's uh, i was talking to rice and i on instagram about this like why would you choose to ever use cgi blood over real blood you mm-hmm. could you could always oh, for use sure. real blood and to move on to the soundtrack where they also did some really creative things cronenberg asked his longtime good friend composer howard shore to make the score for this movie um, I don't know if you've heard it before. Oh, definitely. You have? I know you're into compositions. Yeah, he's all composers. over my uh, my film and instrumental playlist. Oh, nice. Probably because he was instrumental, no pun intended, in making <laughs> the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Yes, that's oh, definitely nice. on there. Who has a, a really good soundtrack and The Hobbit as well. Um, he helped with Cronenberg's The Fly. And if you want to look at his whole resume, it's pretty ridiculous. But anyway... They further try to skew reality in this movie by writing a score initially and then transcribing all the notes and the arrangement to a digital synthesizer. And then they use that synth arrangement that was recorded in tandem with real strings. Ooh. So the combination, which is kind of crazy, became more intense as the movie played out. And it creates a really, really cool feel where you actually don't know at what point it's synthesized instrument versus real strings. I love it. Cool. So it's, it's, love it. Yeah. It's thoughtful. So if you guys are wondering where Cronenberg gets his inspiration for this movie, I will tell you about when he was a kid. So he used to have a TV with an antenna on it. And what he would do is kind of move the antennas around and kind of see what he could find. So especially after the local TV stations would go out late at night, he was able to pick up stuff um, even from New York in various places and he would see some weird things and he was always wondering he's like what if i see something illegal what would i do would i call the cops um is this something like will i keep watching in the future like what what would i do out. yeah Popcorn yeah and you know 
He's just kind of wondering like what his reaction would be if you were to see something like like snuff maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Or like what you see on Videodrome. And Ash was saying this sounds like something that she would do as a kid. And I think we all did with yeah. the Spice Channel. Definitely. Yeah. Trying to see what was going on between the blurriness. Yep. Channel 99. That yeah. Snowball. For sure. Um, and it seems this is yet another thing we have in common with Cronenberg since Civic TV, uh, the TV station that Max Wren worked on in the movie, was based on a real Toronto TV station called City TV, which used to play softcore porn. Nice. Called Baby Blues. Uh, so they were cable, uh, not broadcast. So they happened to get by with some more stuff because I think they kind of went under the radar of, oh, the, nice. of the rating That's people. It's interesting that it was called City TV, but they had softcore porn very late night. It yeah. was something they would show, yeah. But I think it was something about it being on cable uh, that Cronenberg said. That. Yeah. Well, I'm sure also because Canadian, they have maybe more liberal. Um, yeah media laws i mean i'm mm -hmm. speaking out of my ass right now but it's probably I true though couldn't imagine in atlanta having a city tv that would play some softcore this is also probably back in like the 60s or 70s or 80s yeah you old fuck <laughs> uh, so also this time in the 80s there was a lot of discussion about the effects of violent imagery and to be honest i can't remember a time in my life where this wasn't being discussed through that more now than it was then definitely with all the media that we're flooded with especially since the rise of the internet, it's hard to not, it's hard not to think about what the influx of knowledge and violence and sex is doing to us. Um, in Cronenberg's documentary, Long Live the New Flesh, he had this to say about violence in the media. If violent imagery really did provoke violence, then everyone would be violent because we're constantly bombarded by violent imagery at one time or another. Damn. So what's funny about this movie is he played devil's advocate. And he was like, all right, let's say the conservatives are right. Let's say that this imagery is doing something to us. Um, so in the movie, he basically makes this violent imagery make people hallucinate, which is kind of like the worst nightmare of conservatives. Or anybody who's anti-violence. Right. Um, and the villains in this movie are all anti-violence, but they're using violence to spread the message. How does that work? Anyway, here's a quote from Barry Convex. Why would anybody watch a scum show like Videodrome? Why did you watch it, Max? We all know the internet is full of some horrific things, and yet some of us cough, cough, Zach. Oh, oh, I'm definitely someone that loves watching some snuff videos. Shit. Not even just... snuff videos. They're, they're more of like what? Uh, there's a subreddit called "Watch People Die" on Reddit. And, wow. And it's not like people are the pro. Okay, the difference between snuff and what I potentially watch. I'm not saying I actually do. Is that people with snuff are killing people for, or for the entertainment or making money off of okay. that death. What I watch is like Execution. I was filming outside this apartment complex and this guy got splatted on the floor. Ugh. Or executions, but those weren't for entertainment value. That just happens to be B-roll that passes through this internet source. I think we're just naturally curious people. Like, oh, I don't definitely. Know. That's what it goes for me. I, we used to binge videos like this in college. Rotten.com. Yep. Four hours later, you're, you want to go to like a kitten website and you purge, you know, get a little better and then you're fine. And don't act like you never look at roadkill. You know, like yeah. you gotta... You you want to yeah. see, you know, it's you stuff you don't normally it. get to see. You don't get to see the insides of somebody. Yeah. It's under the veil. Yeah. yeah. You know, definitely is. Mm -hmm. um, but we're all guilty of this. And really anyone that listens to our podcast obviously enjoys gore, violence and disturbing imagery to a certain extent. Um, yep. We were all raised on the Internet and yeah. TV movies, but we all turned out all right because we're decent human beings with, I hope, no severe underlying psychological issues. Yeah. yeah moment of hope. Uh, what I want to also mention about this time in history and why I think uh, the fear of sexual and violent imagery was such a big discussion is the rise of the VHS. Uh, video home systems were released in the U.S. around 1977. So around the time this movie came out in 1983, they were big. Other than watching TV, there was no way of watching films in your home prior to the release of the video cassette. There were other devices out like VCRs and VHSs, but they were really 
or they were out um, prior to this, but they were really only used by professionals. God, could you imagine? No, yeah. I can't imagine not being able to watch movies in my own house. Or like the moment where you can like go to a store and like, oh my God, I can watch. What is this? What exactly. is this? Like anything. Q and blockbuster success. Oh, yes. God, and I subsequent miss, fall. Miss that. Definitely. The rise and fall of the empire of the BB. It was just fun to go hang out at a blockbuster. You and I used to go hang out at a video warehouse for hours, hours. and sit on the floor and read the covers of shit. Yeah. Good and times. And then go home with like five movies. <laughs> it's so fun. I mean, so think about all of the content out there that maybe wasn't being shown in theaters mm -hmm. that you could find at your local store now. Or that you could record yourself. Uh, I think of it as something that meant a little less regulation. Again, like the internet where anyone could upload anything and show it to a wide audience, uh, which is why as our lives are filled with more and more screens and different forms of media coming at us, the movie is still, this movie is still quite relevant, but for reasons Cronenberg would never have imagined when he made this. Yeah. As philosophically rich as this movie is, and predictive almost. Yeah. I mean, like we mentioned earlier, it was not so great with the box office, but it received mostly positive reviews. However, the film was rejected by Mr. Roger Ebert Fuck and you. viewers at the test screening because of the depictions of sex, violence, and gore, yet is now a celebrated, disturbing, techno-surrealist cult classic. Even more than that, it's like on most lists for horror. It's most on most lists for must see sci American yeah. sci fi movies. Yeah. Um, so, Tomato Meter, 78%, with an audience score of 80%. Nice. And many people who have seen it later than it comes out have all said, wow, this movie was definitely ahead of its time. In fact, the critics' consensus on Ron Tomato says Videodrome is visually audacious disorienting and just plain weird videodromes musing on technology entertainment and politics still feels fresh today new york times thought it was innovative empire thought it was a perfect example of body horror and there was even a, a to speak more to that of it being very predictive of what it did with technology even when the scene where they're on the game show and they have oblivion on the the screen that was the first time people hadn't thought of the concept of having an interview with someone that's on a like teleconferencing in oh right yeah like they made a big point and then the the facts of this movie saying that like they didn't that was all made up like yeah of, like skype or anything like that in the 1980s was unheard of and that same scene i was talking to Macias yeah. when we were watching he's like my chosen name is professor oblivion soon everyone will pick their own name and identity on our media like platform yeah. i'm like uh fuck yeah minus, handles minus yeah. hot dog cowboy 69 yeah no it's not yes it is in the video game world i am hot dog cowboy 69 oh my god what's your instagram anyway right i'll have one yeah i found this kind of interesting andy warhol called this movie a clockwork orange of the 1980s strong words yeah but i think that's Very definitely fair words. to say yeah uh there was a negative review from the washington post Simultaneously stupefying and boring, Videodrome is too extreme a blunder to survive exposure to a justifiably disillusioned horror movie public. Wrong. I remember my first Theosaurus. I know, right? Theosaurus. Jesus. <laughs> Theosaurus Rex. Theosaurus Rex. <laughs> but also, we've mentioned, um, if you're interested in hearing more about the behind the scenes, the Criterion Collection. And pause right there. This what? is probably the first horror movie we've done that's in the Criterion Collection, which is yeah crazy. Yeah, 
They uh, released a Blu-ray DVD with two commentary tracks. I listened to the one with Cronenberg and the cinematographer Mark Irwin. Yeah, that's the one I heard. All right, so I want to move on to the taglines. Nice. And like Cecil did last week, if anyone thinks of any taglines yeah. on the fly that we could make better, yeah. please do. Throw them out there. All right, number one. First, it controlled her mind. Then it destroyed her body. Mm-hmm. Accurate. I think she destroyed her body first, and then it controlled her yeah. mind. Yeah. Ooh, that's even better. Hot take. A shocking new vision. Nah. Okay. A vision of enormous physical impact. Mm. Yeah. A terrifying new weapon. Nah. Long live the new flesh. Yes. I like that, that, one that one's great. That one is fucking epic. Iconic. Yep. I like rewind before you return. Ooh, okay. Be kind, please please rewind. Yeah. Um, but I also wanted to ask, did you guys have any fun facts that we wanted to include before we moved on to another segment? Samurai Dreams and Apollo and Dionysus, the two softcore porn programs were filmed by Cronenberg. Oh. Oh, that's right. Jumping on that porn, uh, the Japanese porn dealer in the beginning, yeah, uh, David Tsubuchi. Um, well, he later became a minister in Ontario, and his appearance in this movie was used in ad campaigns against him. Oh, shit. Because he acted yeah. as a porn dealer. Damn. But I think he still got it. Yeah. So um, I thought that was pretty kind of cool. And uh, Barry Convex, his character was based off of a televangelist at the time. Oh, yeah. I, can't uh, th- I want to say Jimmy Baker. It, no, it's Tammy Faye and the husband. Was it Tammy Faye? Was that Tammy Faye the- Baker and Rick. No, not Rick Baker. Alan Baker, maybe? I don't know what his name is, but I know Tammy Faye Baker. Yeah, I can't remember the other one, but he was... was her husband. He always... Cronenberg talks about, like, televangelists being, like, extremely disturbing to him. And he was like, it was no surprise when it came out and you find out that he was a complete scumbag. But yeah, that's what... Because they're perfect at um, using media to their advantage and manipulating people to believe what they want to believe. Yeah. exactly what this movie is about. Give me money for Jesus. I'm going to go buy a new Porsche. Jim Baker. Jim Jim Baker. Baker. Yeah. Rick Baker's dad. God, Tammy Fitz, <laughs> her hair figures. is fucking cute. Okay, well, we're yep. going to take a quick break for a second and get back to you guys in a moment. All right, are you guys ready for some trivia? Yep. Bring How it on. does it relate? Okay, so in the words of Professor Brian Oblivion, your reality is already half video hallucination. If you're not careful, it will become total hallucination you'll have to learn to live in a very strange new world that being said i want to test your mind's eye with a series of media news headlines you will need to tell me which of these headlines are reality and which are fantasy are these like current new headlines or just in general kind of around the time Eh, i guess you'll find out i guess we'll find out okay number one messias Mm-hmm. Henry William Bourne was released from jail in Texas after outliving his 99-year prison sentence for horse theft. True. And that Damn. is false. Fart. That was a good one, though. Yeah. All right. Zach. Superintendent arrested for defecating on high school track and football field on daily basis. True. The man is now dubbed... True. I don't need to hear about it. Oh, but it's funny. Let okay, me get it on. out. I've heard that. The man is now dubbed... The pooper intended. <laughs> I know. Yep. That. I didn't know that was his name. I just. Oh my god! Like uh, what the good. fuck, dude? It's power. With great power comes great responsibility. That's right. Sometimes if you have all responsibility, got to go. How mortifying! Like that's yeah. how everyone knows you now. Dude. Yeah. It's pretty shitty. Uh, good luck oh. in the date. Yeah. All right. 
Three, Macias. Teen arrested after breaking into Palo Alto home asking for Wi-Fi password. True. Good job. Ooh. All right. Did Zach. they get it? I don't know. They were like, what the fuck? It was yeah. like in the middle of the night. They were like. You go to the router and you look at the key. And it's usually yeah, on it. Like don't, you don't ask them. You don't go shake somebody in their bed like, hey, can you wake up for a second? I just got a quick question. Wi-Fi password. Ugh. That is so the teens of today. Okay, Zach. Man sues McDonald's because he was depressed after eating a Happy Meal. See, this sounds really true, but I think it could be also false because you're trying to make a story. I'm going to say it is true. False. All right, we're tied. Tie game. All right. Tiebreaker. How is this going to work? We have to see who gets it first? Yes. Okay. All right, you ready? Yeah. Let's see this. Ready. This ad agency has started selling ad space on the asses of attractive women. False. True. The answer is false. Yes. Art. The true answer is this ad agency has started selling ad space on the armpits of attractive women. Whoa. Even, even worse. More disgusting. Well, shit, looks like I won the fake news versus real news. So yeah. if you guys want to parse any of the political things going on right today through me, I can tell you what's actually going <laughs> okay. on. And yeah. I can tell you right now, there's a lot going on. Yeah. Um, but now let's get on to ratings, thoughts, and data to catch any new listeners up because this is my favorite section personally. We grade all movies for 11 horror variables and overall grade and various other metrics. To start with jump scares, we have Videodrome. We have a 13%, so pretty low. Yeah, not very scary. I think everyone would agree with that. There weren't many things you were looking at and you have to get out of your seat for. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know? Um, for soundtrack, I gave it a 60%. Ashley giving a 50%. And Macias giving a 70% for 60% overall. That's so good. a pretty decent soundtrack. Mm -hmm. We had Gore at a 66%. It was pretty good for the time. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that. Shock value, we had 70%, so the highest thus far. Suspense, not a super suspenseful movie, mm -mm. 36%. I'm fine with that. Monster slash killer appeal. We differed here. We had an eight five and a six to give it a sixty three percent. That's good. Who gave it an eight? I gave it an eight just because I thought the monsters were like I don't know tied into special effects and how they looked. Okay, like, yeah. Um, I get, that's my argument for special effects. We were all on the right page. We gave it a ninety percent. Hell yeah. yeah! Really good special effects again, harping on the practical effects versus CGI. Horniness. We we're around the same as well. Yes. We have a seventy six percent. This is one of our hornier movies. Yeah, it's got the softcore porn in the background and then mm -hmm. Deborah Harry. Oof. It does have some stuff going on. Not as horny as Cannibal Holocaust, nope. but no. Uh. Scariness, we also agreed. 40%. Yeah, yeah. Not, not the scariest scary. movie. No. Um, acting, we were in agreement around 76%. That's pretty, pretty high. Yeah. James Woods, for whatever he's doing now, was still really good in this movie. And yeah. Debbie Harry. Oof. And that. Uh, plot, we differed a lot here. It was 46%. Okay. I yeah. put twenty percent because I it was confusing to me. It was too confusing. If you don't get the plot to me, then that's that's your fault. It was confusing. I just think the idea behind it was awesome. I just think yeah, I think it was a great idea. Says the person that gave it seventy percent. Yeah. That's well, seventy percent is decent. It's yeah. not like no, blowing my socks off, but yeah. so forty six percent for plot. Um, for personal scores, I gave it a sixty percent. Um, Not bad. I figured you'd do less lower, than that. Yeah. <laughs> well, I understand what this movie means for horror, um, but you really have to pay super attention to it or watch it more than once to get it. And that's kind of like Jacob's Ladder, so I can't really harp on it too much because I do like that movie a lot. 
And what saved this movie was the special effects and gore mm-hmm. scenes for me. Absolutely. I love Cronenberg's use of Rick Baker and a really good special effects team. Totally. Um, Ash, you gave this movie a 70%. What do you have to say about that? I stand behind that. I love this movie. I think it's really creative. Um, the reason I didn't give it higher was because I understand that it is confusing as fuck. So everything else I was really into. Gore, all of that. Deborah Harry, yes, please. And Macias, you gave us a 70%. What do you have to say for yourself? I think it was a great movie. Like you said, the special effects were awesome. And Cronenberg just makes great movies. And I love the message behind it. And I love how relevant it is today. But as far as like, do I want to watch it all the time? Not really. I think mm-hmm. watching it twice is enough for me. Maybe I'll watch it another five years, but yeah, I not agree. a favorite. So all in all, the Horny Horror crew gave us a 67%, which isn't bad, which yeah. isn't great. So I think it's somewhere in between, you know, and you can take what you want from the special effects and learn from that. Um, to get into the other factors, we counted eight kills from this movie. That counts Oblivion, who wasn't killed on screen. We had four sex scenes because we had the softcore porn going oh, yeah. on. And we had a few different couples in that. So yeah. we counted double a little bit. And then for explosions, we had one. Yeah. yeah. We had zero jump scares, which is rare. Yeah. And number of monsters we debated about, it's kind of just like a large shadowy network of people that were trying to infiltrate the brains yeah. of people. Yeah. I just put unknown. Or mm-hmm. you could say one in James Woods. Yeah. Um, but either way, they're, they're, it was kind of an unknown amount of monsters for that. Other than that, do you guys have anything to say about Videodrome before we put this movie back in its capsule and return it to the video store? No. I think next week we should probably lay off on the snuff. Yeah. Or the thematic transitions like I'm using. Yeah. Yeah. I, I like them. Hopefully we lay Cute off on the snuff because we've we've been we've been hitting it hard and raw. Yeah. This yeah. Last Real two raw. weeks. Real raw kinky. Dog. Uh, and that said, with no more Scribusane, we're back to a shorter movie rotation. Yep. And like, once again, it's Macias' turn. So uh, what's it going to be? Well, the kitties are going back to school. Thank it's God. August now. So I think that we should do a high school movie called The Faculty. Fuck oh, yes. Oh, a movie I have it. not seen <gasps> ever. You know, I love my 90s slasher. This is going to okay, be great. Not slasher, it's but more, just a great 90s movie. It's like more like what? Like sci fi? Yeah, aliens. Yeah. And it's the kind of following the general trend if we've been in the 80s. So let's take one step closer to the 90s and go yeah. from there, yep. right? I love how let's we do rarely it. do any current movies. <laughs> Well, we'll get there. We'll we get will. There. As always, thanks for listening. Feel free to write us with movie suggestions, creepy stories, or just to say hi. You can always contact us at hornyhorrorhour at gmail.com. I know some of you have already contacted us before. You can contact us at Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and any other podcast platform has all of our episodes. And in the words of our protagonist, Max Wren, in the tagline to one of these movies, death to Videodrome, long live the new flesh. flesh.